0: This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. It not only educates its students about today's communication industry, but it produces innovative leaders. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some are not, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today, we're talking with Rita Soranen, the president and CEO of the David Thomas Foundation for Adoption. It's a national nonprofit public charity that assists in finding adoptive families for the 110,000 children waiting to be adopted from foster care each year. She talks about this special group of children and their need for families. Tell us a little bit about the Dave Thomas Foundation before we get into your survey. Uh, set the stage for us. What is the foundation? What do you do?
1: The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is a national nonprofit public charity, and, and we're really singularly focused on one mission, one cause, and that's dramatically increasing the adoptions of children who are in foster care who have been freed for adoption, and we know they're in foster care through no fault of their own they've been abused or neglected or abandoned or trafficked. Um, um, And our job is, once they've been freed for adoption, is how do we get them into an adoptive home as quickly as possible? Um, And so the the foundation focuses exclusively on that target population of children um, and making sure that they have the birthright of every child, uh, a safe, nurturing, and permanent home.
0: As I understand it from doing a bit of research about the foundation, you As a foundation, do uh, research on this topic. In addition to the research, you also uh, provide some grant money for uh, groups uh, addressing this issue across the nation and in Canada. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Um, we actually have two foundations, uh, uh, and they're separate from each other, but they have the exact same mission, vision, and tactics. Um, the, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, uh, U.S. and Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption Canada. We are. We do. Um, we have parallel tracks within the foundation in terms of strategies in addressing this cause. First, we raise awareness about um, foster care adoption. Um, we know that if, if you're just in a general conversation, frequently people are not aware that in this country today there are 110,000 children who have been, um, they're in foster care, they're there again through no fault of their own, but their abuse has risen to such a level that the courts have permanently severed the parental rights of um, parents to that child. In other words, we have 110,000 legal orphans in this country who are waiting to be adopted. So we do a lot of work around talking about that, um, raising awareness about who these children are, what the system is, how one could go about thinking about adopting from foster care. But our second parallel strategy is giving grants to organization across the nation um, to drive um, uh, best practices to get those children adopted. And, and we really drill down with a focus on a particular target population within that population of, of children waiting to be adopted. And that's the number of children each year who turn 18, who grow up in foster care essentially and turn 18 and leave foster care without an adoptive family. In other words, a broken promise. Um, Our promise the day that these children are freed for adoption is that we will find them a family as quickly as possible. But for 20,000 children in this country, year over year over year, they turn 18 and leave foster care without an adoptive family. And so we've put our research and our efforts and our grant-making into addressing that particular population of children, driving best practices, making grants to organizations across the nation to get these children adopted
0: now, people may not know the backstory of the Dave Thomas Foundation. Dave Thomas was the founder of, of Wendy's, the creator of Wendy's, the, the food chain, among others. But uh, he also had a personal story, correct?
1: He did. In 1992, when Dave Thomas was still the CEO of the Wendy's company and growing that business internationally, um, but he was beginning to wind down um, in terms of his his day-to-day commitment, um, began to think about um, what's the best way um, to express what was embedded in the Wendy's culture, that sense of giving back to the community. And they very much wanted to start a foundation and realized they had an organic sense of what to do. Thomas was adopted as an infant, um, but he had a, a, a very difficult life after that. His um, adopted mother passed away when he was very young. Um, his uh, father remarried and was a bit of a transient worker. Um, and so um, Dave Thomas moved frequently and, and quite honestly was raised by his grandmother uh, a lot during his life. He left home at 16, struck out on his own. And his story parallels in a, in a way um, the journey of our older youth in foster care, moving from home to home, frequently not knowing you know, what's what's happening um, in their lives in terms of family, but, but really trying to make it on their own. And so he created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption to focus exclusively on children in foster care who are waiting to be adopted and gave us this internal drive to really understand the needs of older youth um, who are in foster care who may not have the means um, to strike it on their own at 16 or 17 or 18 and shouldn't have to, should have the family support there. So we're so delighted that, that Dave Thomas um, drove both this sense of giving back to the community um, and allowed the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption um, to, to uh, develop and really thrive in partnership with the Wendy's Company, but uniquely distinct from them in order to uh, become a national philanthropic organization.
0: You have had a personal story with this as as well. Rita, looking at your background, uh, before you came to the foundation, you worked with the Franklin County Courts in Ohio as a special advocate. So you've seen this from the, the court perspective as well as from the adoptive perspective.
1: I have, yes, and in fact, for many years, I actually started out in child abuse prevention uh, quite some time ago. How do, we, how do we make sure that children don't come into the foster care system, that families are given the support that they deserve? Um, I, I fervently believe that no family intends to harm their child, um, but sometimes, um, uh, you know, abuse happens in families, and too often abuse happens in families, more often neglect happens in families, and more children die of neglect than abuse. Um, and so how do we provide those supports around families to keep them from coming into the system to teach them how to, how to take care of their children? So I started out in child abuse prevention, but did I did move then into sort of that intervention phase through the court-appointed special advocate program in, in Columbus, Ohio, um, and at a national level as well. Um, once children are Involved in um, court proceedings, they have been been removed from their homes, and families are now enmeshed in child welfare systems and juvenile justice systems and court proceedings. How do we effectively and efficiently look out for the best interest of the children who frequently now get lost in that the complexities of systems through the court system? Um, And then was just given the rare opportunity to move to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, where uh, a little bit at that end of the cycle. So when when prevention fails. When intervention moves children into this indeterminate status of who's my family, I've been freed for adoption, but I don't have a family. I was so lucky to be able to join the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and address that sort of end game of the child welfare system for these children.
0: One of the things you mentioned that the foundation does is research, and research is so important in establishing Benchmarks and and a basis for what you're doing and charting progress. Uh, Your organization just recently uh, released the results of a brand new survey. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, every five years we take a snapshot of Americans' attitudes toward foster care adoption. Because we do a lot of um, awareness activities and conversations through media and through through um, communication campaigns, we want to make sure that, that we're addressing the right messages to either move people to consider foster ter- care adoption or address whatever myths and misperceptions may exist out there, particularly about our children and youth. So every five years Years. we work with Harris interactive and and that's now Nielsen um, to really do a, a broad snapshot of what are Americans attitudes toward foster care adoption and we just recently released the 2017 version of that um, and we're finding some interesting things both both um, um, really good news I think for the work of the foundation and others who are in the space and we still have some work to do so I'll just give you a, a small example Please. one thing we, we do is um, we we ask you know who who among you are considering adoption just adoption in general if you've never adopted are you thinking about adoption and we we know that about 25 percent of Americans who have never adopted are thinking about adopting so that's great that's a that's a lot of millions of people who are thinking about adopting but then we drill down into that and say well what kind of adoption are you thinking about knowing that there are really kind of three ways that Americans can adopt they can adopt and uh, you know privately uh, adopt an infant domestically they can adopt um, typically an infant internationally, or they can adopt um, through foster care. And what we found is um, a, a, a significant uh, majority of Americans, 80% of those people who are thinking about adopting, have considered foster care adoption and that's up about 7 points from our 7 percentage points from the last time we did the survey which was 2012 statistically that's a significant change but more important for us it tells us that some of hopefully our messaging is getting across Because what we do know from um, a lot of years in this business is that um, when people are thinking about adoption, probably their first two thoughts are infant adoption, international adoption, that foster care adoption has has traditionally not been a parallel thought in folks' minds. And make no mistake, we're not here to try and convince someone who very much wants to adopt a a baby uh, to, to dissuade them from that notion. We simply want to make sure that all Americans know that foster care adoption and perhaps an older youth is also an option when they're thinking about expanding their family. So this was very good news for us in in understanding that um, a a majority of Americans know that foster care adoption is an option and are thinking about it as well.
0: Rita, if we could look at both sides of foster care adoption for a moment, a, a, a family that might have thought about it but ruled it out Uh, And then I want to go to the other side of the family who uh, actually went through with an adoption and look at some of their reasonings. I'm sure you see patterns all the time and address those patterns. But a, a, a couple that's reluctant to do or a family that's reluctant to do a foster care adoption, what do you hear from them?
1: Yeah, yeah, we hear a number of things, and 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 what we want to do is make sure that families have the best kind of information at hand so they can make a good decision. Um, and sometimes that information, though, is is riddled with some misinformation. So, for example, what we hear, and we saw this in the survey, too, is some families may self-select out of a process of foster care adoption because they believe that the birth family, the birth parents, will make a legal challenge uh, about their birth or will try to come and take that child back. In fact, we know that 76% of Americans have a misperception that the parents can come and, and later claim their child. In foster care option. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, The reason sometimes these children linger in foster care for so long is because the courts make sure that every possible venue has been made available to the birth parents to do the right thing to be able to have this child come home to them. But if that family is found so unsafe um, and and cannot comply with safety measures and and support measures and nurturing measures, uh, then they finally and ultimately and legally terminate that parent from child, that parent can never make a legal claim for that child again. So we just want to make sure that families understand if that's a concern um, we need, it it shouldn't be. Now, for older youth, is extended family involved in the child's life or should be involved in the child's life? Even that decision is up to the adoptive parents. Um, So that's one thing. We know that that families uh, believe sometimes that it's too expensive to adopt. Well, to adopt from foster care, is it's not expensive. Now, there are costs, of course, implied in raising a child. But the actual costs to adopt from foster care typically are covered by the county or the state that holds custody of that child. That's contrasted against, um, you know, if if a family chooses to adopt domestically, private infant adoption, or internationally, there are significant costs, legal costs, transportation costs, all kinds of agency fees. And so sometimes I think that that it's just too expensive to adopt, gets translated into foster care adoption. And we just want people to know that it's not expensive to adopt from foster care. Um, So those are some of those misperceptions that we want to address. Now, some of the reality, um, you know, that these children have been through traumatic experiences and they may have um, challenges acclimating to a family or they may have challenges that need to be addressed. Absolutely. Uh, And that's where we work with agencies and Families to make sure that when they're moving toward an adoption they, and they've been potentially even identified as an adoptive uh, family for a child, they have the full um, robust background of that child's journey through care if they have any kind of needs that need to be addressed that, you know, identification of the kind of supports that are available to them. So there, there's both per, uh, perception that may be true about these children have been traumatized, they have gone through, um, you know, if they They've moved multiple times in care. They may have issues that that will need support. But if they're if they're self-selecting out because of some things that we can easily address, like cost or or legal issues, then we want to make sure they have that information too.
0: Now, on the other side, people that uh, choose, and you you say the numbers. The survey shows the numbers are going up of people considering uh what would be some of the advantages and perhaps advantages is not the right term of art but talk about the positive side what what do people think about when they choose to do this kind of adoption they do.
1: And we see the number one reason that, that families choose to adopt from foster care is because they want to help a child. Well, what could be a better reason than that, right? Um, we see so many stories every day, globally, quite honestly, about children in need, children suffering, children that simply need um, another adult in their lives to help them grow and thrive to their best potential. So the number one reason people choose to adopt from foster care is because they want to help a child. Um, you know, but, but concurrent with that is they they want to to create or extend their family through additional children. And what we hear particularly from Um, families that that seek out older youth, you know, they may have already parented children in in their family situation and now they don't really want a baby in their lives. They don't want to deal with diapers again. But the idea of adopting a 13-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 16-year-old is appealing to them. They've been through adolescence with with children already and so they already have a picture of what what it's like to adopt an, uh, an older youth. So I think, you know, single parents sometimes or older uh, older and i don't mean older anything other than you know that perhaps they've already parented <laughs> right. or or they they're, they've gotten on with their career but they just hadn't started a family um as a young person I think those are the folks that begin to look at foster care adoption because of the availability of a child, look, eight, nine, or ten. We know from research, the day that a child turns nine in foster care and they've been freed for adoption, their likelihood of being adopted diminishes significantly. And so, these families step forward and say, I don't want that to happen. I don't want a child to age out of foster care without a family. I want to, I want to take a step and, and help this, this child. And I've got the capacity in my family, I've got the love in my heart,
0: I'm ready to to consider, you know, an older youth as well. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University and its leadership and faculty strongly support diversity in all of its forms. The college has defined the concept of diversity as acceptance and respect for all, And understands that each individual comes with a unique set of life experiences shaped along the dimensions of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity, socioeconomic status, age, abilities, religious beliefs, political beliefs, and all other ideologies. At the Scripps College of Communication, diversity is about understanding one another and moving beyond simple tolerance to embracing and celebrating the rich dimensions contained within each individual. Diversity enables the exploration of varied life experiences in a safe, positive, and nurturing environment. To learn more and find out how you can become part of this diverse community, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Could we look a little deeper at uh, the the kind of people who do this kind of adoption? Do you have an age range or do they trend older? Uh, Do you have a a racial demographic uh, or a gender demographic?
1: We do. And, and interestingly, we know that um, those who do um, um, step forward and think about foster care adoption, there is a key demographic. They tend to be somewhere in that age range of 18 to 44. So, you know, by my standards, a little bit younger demographic. Right. They do tend to be women. Um, they do tend to fall we' always do an overrepresentation in our sampling in this research of African American and Hispanic populations and the result is we find that um, um, African American and Hispanic populations do tend to be the ones that step forward at a higher rate than than Caucasian uh, Americans um, they do tend to be single or never married um, um, and and come from a really steady sort of median salary you don 't have to be wealthy in order to adopt at, at, from foster care, so have a pretty um, steady but but median income somewhere between twenty-five thousand and a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I think they uh, sometimes even though if if they've uh, if they're single or never been married, um, a, a, a high number of them have already have kids. Um, so it, this isn't really foster care adoption really isn't seen as a solution to. Um, um, the sense that I can't have children, I have fertility issues, rather. It's that other side of, I understand children and I, and I want to help a child.
0: Do you have uh, potential adoptive parents that particularly want to take on a foster child through adoption that might have special needs?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we know just from the, the populations of children we're currently serving through one of our signature programs, we provide grants to organizations who um, use this model we've created um, and, and serve some of the longest waiting children. And the reality is on that caseload right now, we've got about 4,200 children across the nation on that caseload. Um, about um, 70% of those kids have at least one clinically identified you <laughs> Special need, Um, and that can be anything from um, you know ADHD to uh, a physical uh, challenge um, and anything in between that. And we do, we have families who understand those needs, who may have already dealt with that in their family, or who may be in a profession. They may be a nurse or they may be a teacher that understands children with special needs and very much want to use their learnings or their their concern or or their special skills to make sure that they can help this child and so want to adopt that child. You know, we have everything from um, samples of of children who who have learning disabilities. We have uh, this one great family, uh, a a girl who had been in care for seven years, who had moved seven times. And by the time she was matched with this adoptive family, she was 12, but had gone through that kind of chaos in her life. She um, had a cleft uh, cleft palate, um, some some learning uh, disabilities, and this family just... Took her in, and she is thriving. Um, and in fact, she said, "You know, this this gets me every time." But um, she had a surgery for her for her um, face soon after she was adopted and her adopted dad picked her up and carried her from the car into the house. And then, um, you know, during the week was hand feeding her soup. And and this young woman, Olivia said, I knew that I finally had a family when my dad carried me home and fed me soup. You know, the thing we take for granted every day um, is what, adoption is all about, that it shouldn't seem special to Olivia that that's what her dad would do. That should be normal course of events, but that's what it takes, is these parents stepping forward and saying, how how easy is it to simply treat this child like every other child?
0: The fact that we as a society have redefined family uh, and expanded it beyond the 1950s version Mm -hmm. of nuclear family that must help in what you're doing
1: it does it you know in recruiting potential adoptive parents uh, what we say is families are as diverse as the children who are in the system and so single parents can adopt Older individuals can adopt. Same-sex couples can adopt. Um, families who have um, never thought about the idea of maybe mixed race or mixed religions or, or um, you know, that diversity and fabric that makes up um, this incredible country also makes up the families who can adopt from foster care and who step forward to adopt from foster
0: care. From... This point forward, talk about some of your goals. I know it's to get every child adopted probably. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, uh, this foundation is really committed to, to this issue. And I know you have a strategic plan. Share with us some of your goals if you could.
1: We do. Thank you. And, and and the one program I referred to before, in addition to all of our awareness activities and other campaigns that provide support to families, um, because research shows that um, child-focused recruitment, which is the model we created and we branded it Wendy's Wonderful Kids because our, our Wendy's partners stepped in and really significantly increased their fundraising to support this program, our our research shows we did a five-year rigorous evaluation of child-focused recruitment, and it shows that uh, it works more than three times better than business as usual for our target population of children and getting them adopted. That's older youth, children in sibling groups, children with mental and physical challenges. Those kids who are most at risk of aging out of care, and there are no good consequences to living without a family in this life. Those are the kids that ha- are at a higher risk of homelessness, um, unemployment, substance abuse, incarceration, all of those negative consequences, that, right. that not because they're bad kids, because they don't have a support of supportive family. So our job now and our future focus is getting this program embedded as best practice in all 50 states and District of Columbia so that in 10 to 12 years, we won't even be thinking about it as a special project. It'll simply be how adoption organizations do business when they need to get this population of kids adopted. But over that, you know, once families do adopt, there are frequently supports that are needed for these families, whether it's financial support or connection to resources or counseling or or just a a network of other families who have adopted and have similar challenges sometimes with with the kids who have been adopted from foster care. We need to have a much more robust strategy in this country and at state-by-state level and county-by-county level of how do we provide systemic support to these families who step forward and, and claim some of our most forgotten um, children in this country, how do we make sure that they have every support possible to continue to be a thriving family so that this generation of children can move on and do all of the great things that, that they have the capacity to do as well?
0: Rita, last question, and it's if somebody out there is listening to us and You've sparked something in them, and they go, You know, this might be something I'd, I'd like to do, but I, I'm not sure how to get it started. I, I, I'm not sure how to go about it. Uh, walk them through what they might do if they are, are interested.
1: Absolutely. You know, first thing I would say is feel free to contact the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. DaveThomasFoundation.org. Um, you know, there, there's a, just, a, we're rich with resources, of a, a, a step-by-step guide to adoption, just at that basic, or talk to one of us on staff, one of our grant managers who manages um, all of these incredible adoption recruiters across the nation, and they can get them connected to those adoption organizations no matter what state they're in. But even before that, you know do some do some do some deep research find out what this is all about what it means to to contact an adoption agency and say i'd like to consider Becoming a foster parent or I'd like to consider becoming an adoptive parent because there are steps that happen There are training classes that are required Um, There are background checks. There are home studies and it can appear overwhelming if it happens all at once You know with your first phone call But if you do that do that research into it and understand what steps am I going to have to do in order to become a Qualified adoptive family through the foster care system and understand all those steps are there for the safety of the child Um, It's not meant to be a burden, but it can be burdensome connecting with bureaucratic systems. You know, it's no different than going (laughs) sometimes to get your license. Um, You know, you've got to go through steps. Well, it should be a little bit arduous to make sure that you're safe for a child. Having said that, it should never be frustrating. There should be return phone calls. There should be supports available. And so that's where, again, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption can step in because we have a footprint in all 50 states and D.C., because we provide grants to Um, almost 300 organizations across this country, we've got a pretty good snapshot of some of the best organizations and can get individuals connected directly or can help troubleshoot if they're not getting the kind of responses. And then I think it's a good internal conversation what does what do i want what do i want out of a family what does my family want out of a family do i have supports in my extended family or in my faith community or in my in my business community do i have the kind of supports that will help me as i go through this process will support me will encourage me And if I don't feel like I have those, where can I find them? Um, And then, you know, a a good sense of what are the resources available. I mean, do people even know that there is an adoption tax credit that families can claim? Do they know that sometimes businesses have adoption-friendly workplace benefits, so paid leave or unpaid leave for families who step forward to foster care or who adopt? So do a deep dive into what are my employer's um, benefits um, that might be available to me and sometimes a lot of that pre-research then dispels sort of the um, the challenge that the journey can be. But I would also tell them no matter how challenging that journey is, there is not an adoptive family that we've talked to, and we've worked with literally tens of thousands of them over the years who wouldn't say to another potential adoptive family, Every step was worth it. My family was worth it. This child was worth the effort that it took. Um, So I think those are some of the beginnings. You know, really just gather as much information as possible from credible sources and then take that risk, pick up the phone and and begin to do the deep dive with the agency.
0: Rita, thank you so much for your time and for your information and best of luck with the work that you're doing and the challenges that you have ahead.
1: Oh, thank you, Tom, for the conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate um, your willingness for us to engage in this conversation with your audience.
0: Today, we've been talking with Rita Sorenen, the president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. We talked about the adoption of children from foster care. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We also welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through Apple Podcasts. If you have other questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at, Hudson at Ohio dot edu. Hudson, hodson at That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.